Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And welcome to another edition of the World Football Index podcast. Tonight, myself and the panel are going to take a look back at the uh, the South American qualifiers for the 2018 World Cup and some some eventful matches that took place uh, during the last couple of weeks during the international break. Joining me on the on the pod tonight, first of all in Chile, coming somewhat of a pod regular, is Adam Brandon. How are you this evening, Adam? All well with you? Yeah, I'm I'm in a, a very good mood. Thanks, Dave. Uh, my team, Norwich in England, won yesterday, so all is good with the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm, to be honest with you, I, I really do hope Norwich get it, although they did have your heart in your mouth a few times yesterday, I'm sure. It was it was a nice watch for a neutral, but I'm not so sure it would been so nice for, for a fan, would it be correct? Yeah, you're certainly right there. I, I'm still recovering. Ah, well, sure. You've you've six cup finals basically coming. That's that, that's the way to look at it. And and secondly, up in the USA, we have uh, Austin Miller. How are you this evening, Austin? All good with you? I'm doing well. Yes, yes, all good. Um, my Brazilian team, Palmeiras, are finally winning matches, so that's exciting. After a little stretch where things didn't go as well, and they've convinced me that they're going to do well in the Libertadores this week, so that's going to be heartbreaking when they don't. But uh, yeah, everything's going well. Happy to be back on. Uh, these qualifiers were really good, really exciting, so uh, we'll have a lot of great stuff to talk about. No, absolutely there were. And, and you know, as, as you say, I, 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 I just admire you for following the state championships in Brazil because... <laughs> I just can't. I just can't bring myself to watch. I can watch the league, but it, there's just so many nothing games in it. I just find it a real tedious watch, you know. Let me tell you, there are a lot of nothing games until you start losing a lot of those nothing games as well. <laughs> and then, then things get a little scary, and then you 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 start to think about, oh wait, we could actually be relegated out of this state league. Like that thing that happens to these small teams could happen to us, but. Back-to-back wins. Today they beat Corinthians. Fernando Pras saved another penalty, so he's becoming a bit of a regular at that. So all is well. We're good. We're going to make it. So we are good. <laughs> well, indeed. Let, let's let's get down into it. And, and I'm going to start with Adam and Chile. Um, and, and we'll start with with the first game that Chile had over the over the international break, which was uh, our, our 2-1 loss to Argentina at home. Adam, you know, I watched this game and I, and I felt Chile were, were you know good for a draw in it. 
but but the Argentinians just edged it. Well, what were your own feelings on it? Yeah, well, I personally, I feel that Chile were very unlucky to lose against Argentina, especially if you take into account the fact that they were already missing like half their first 11. And then they suffered two more injuries in the first 20 minutes of the game. And in that spell, although Chile were took although Chile took the lead, I think Argentina took advantage of the fact that Chile were reorganising with with those two key injuries in midfield to Marcelo Diaz and Matias Fernandez. And uh, I think Argentina actually got their equaliser when Chile only had 10 men on the pitch, for example. So you can't, I, I don't think you can look too much into this as for now, because like I say, Chile just had so many bad moments of luck <laughs> leading up to the game and also during the game. No, I hear you on that. And, and you know, as I say, I, I do think that, that Chile were actually robbed uh, in that game. You know, as I said, I think Argentina, it's a very, very, very sort of suspect three points for them. And it's not, you know, I, I know Chile have a much bigger profile these days and so on, Adam. But, you, you know, you, I, I sort of expected a little bit more from the Argentinians. I, I was sort of disappointed in them. What about what were your own feelings? Yeah, well, my my own thoughts on Argentina's performance. Yeah, as I say, it's, it's not you know for for, for the st- what's meant to be the standout team in South America. I didn't think that they performed particularly well. You know, they, they got the points, but it wasn't convincing for me. Well, from what I saw in that game, you know, they just looked to Messi really to to get them up the pitch. There was. You know, but at, at the moment, I see like there's no clear philosophy to Argentina's play. It's just you know get the ball to Messi, see what he can do, and it, you know if he's on his game, then he might create one or two chances and to see them over the line. And this yeah. is this is I know mean, we're going to come to this with, with Neymar and Brazil as well. It, the, the the two sort of giants of South America seem to be playing the same game plan. You know, get the ball to the star, and and you know he it's the responsibility lies on their shoulders, and it seems to be something that's increasing in Argentina as well as in Brazil. Yeah, well, you know, Messi played really well. I thought in the first half against Chile. Um, you know, he he caused Chile a lot of problems, but he was very quiet in the second half, and I, I think. That's because Chile readjusted in the second half. But yeah, it, you know, if you look at Chile and Colombia now that they they look like they're getting back to their best, which I'm sure we'll discuss later. Even Ecuador, for example, Uruguay, you can see like there's a there's a clear game plan going into their matches. I don't see that with Argentina, and I don't see it with Brazil. No, you're you're absolutely spot on. For for yourself, Austin, did did you manage to catch that game? Uh, what, what were your thoughts on it? I did. Yeah, I saw this one. I thought I I agree with a lot of what Adam said. Um, the fact that Chile were able to put themselves in a position where they probably should have gotten a draw says a lot about this team. Because as Adam mentioned, the injuries were just racked up for this squad. They were missing a lot of the players that they'd counted on, and so. For them to be able to, to fight to a position where they probably should have been able to get a draw, that felt like, as Adam said, the fair result. I think I think that's good on them. And then, you know, for them to be able to bounce back, and we'll talk about this in a minute, with their second match and really be able to pound Venezuela after after a poor start, I think that, that speaks a lot for Chile. I think they're in a pretty good position as things stand. For Argentina, yeah, they do feel a little bit like Brazil in the fact that they have Lionel Messi. And it it's a difficult situation because... When you have a player that 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 is that talented as Neymar and as Messi are, 
it's foolish to not play through him because he's that good and he's that much better than everybody else. But it's also it's difficult to strike this balance where you're using Messi properly so that he's getting enough touches that he can be extremely effective. But he's also not getting overused that that's the only way that you can play. And I think that's something that Argentina needs to work on. And that's definitely something Brazil will need to work on talk about. But Argentina are fortunate that they got three points out of this game rather than one. It, it definitely felt like one should have been the result for both sides here. No, absolutely. There, there, there's no doubt about it. I'll say, I, 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 as I said earlier, I've just got it for Chile because I thought that, that they played very well. And given the, the absentees, yeah. as, you, as you rightly said, that they, they deserve something out of the game. It, it, it was also, uh, of course, Juan Antonio Pizzi's first match in charge. This was this was the beginning of life without Jorge Sampaoli, Chile's most successful manager ever. So there was like a lot of pressure on him. You know, he he has a lot of doubters here already. Um, Sampaoli's a hard act to follow because of the su- success that he brought, and there's a lot of pressure on Pizzi to deliver not just results but like attacking performances as well. You know, since because yeah, that's really the mindset there in Chile, isn't it, Adam? They 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 demand attacking football. Yeah, well, since the days of the success that Marcelo Bielsa brought to the brought to the nation, you know, they refuse to play any other way. No, and and you know, some I love it personally. Personally speaking, I love it. Well, we'll move we'll move into Brazil here, and and Brazil actually, I was actually at the game in Recife. Um, it was a two all draw with with Uruguay. Brazil squandering a two 0 lead. Um, but to the brilliance of, of, of Suarez, to be fair. Um, Austin, your, yourself, um, you know, I, I watched Neymar toil his way, and, and, and I make no excuses for saying that, toil his way through this game. And, you know, it's just not the player I see for Barcelona. It's, it's a completely different metamorphosis off, of that player. And it's just, he is labored. He, you, you know, I wrote an article where I said, you know, for, for Barcelona, Neymar has a role. For Brazil, he is the team. And I think even Zagallo came out this week and, you know, after I wrote that and, and, and sort of echoed those sentiments, it is getting a little bit sort of all too predictable with Brazil at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, it absolutely is. The thing about Neymar is, and you mentioned this in your article that you wrote, he's not a nine. And that's where Dunga's asking him to play. Neymar's not a striker. He's not a false nine. And he, when, he, when you have a player that is so talented like Neymar is and we've seen how talented he is at Barcelona you watch Barcelona play and you can tell he's a very very good player you have to play him where he is most comfortable and build your team around that uh he's not most comfortable as this false nine he's most comfortable as a a player on the wing cutting inside that's where he's best Austin I I I would go as far as saying he's eight nine and ten he's trying to take three rules and maybe even eleven even in there as well yeah I think that's completely fair he's asked to to be this striker while also playing on the wing and and I think you hit it on the head he doesn't really have a role there's not this defined role that he needs to he needs to do. And so whether that's on Dunga for not defining it or whether that's for taking Dunga's role and then just not, not doing it. I don't know about that, where that disconnect is, but I think you need to put Neymar on the wing. You need to tell him, do what you do at Barcelona and then build the rest of your team around him. And if that means you have to start, he called Oliveira or Jonas or whoever, you have to do that because your best player. And when he is so clearly your best player, he needs to play where he's most comfortable and where he can be most effective. No, absolutely on that. And, and you know, I, I'm, I'm a bit, bit skeptical of uh, Oliveira, to be fair. Um, you know, I'd, I'd much rather see a young gun like Gabigol or someone coming in and, and, and you know, playing that position. Um, but, you, you know, again, Brazil stormed into a lead. 
40 seconds into the game, um, you, you know, we, we were in front. Douglas Costa in the first half, to, to be honest, that guy was untouchable. Just fell away to nothing in the second half. And as I say, you know, the Suarez goal, they, in, in the end, Austin, they were very, very lucky to get the point because at the end they were being mauled. Um, you know, they, they had no answer for it. You find Neymar actually in his own half, coming to his own half to get the ball. And therein, again, lies, li- lies the problem. Exactly. You're, you're right. Brazil were fortunate to leave this match with a point. You had a, a makeshift Uruguayan back line that I think Brazil was able to take advantage of on those first two goals. But once those players kind of settled in on the back line for Uruguay, I thought they were a lot more successful in this match. And Suarez is, he's a phenomenal player and he was phenomenal in this match. He was phenomenal in this break. Uh, he was great and he was great against Brazil. And, and he was the reason that they pulled themselves back in this match and he was the reason they almost won it. And, and on the other end, Brazil's back line is, it's poor. And David Luiz is, is not, I don't know. I don't think he's a national team caliber starting center back. Uh, we can touch on the Thiago Silva situation where Dunga's just decided he's not going to pick Brazil's best center back. But even then, I don't think David Luiz is the best option. I think of the players that are currently in the pool, I think at this point, it should probably be Gilles and Miranda. I think those should be the two center backs. Uh, and when you're struggling on the defense against a team that's as talented as Uruguay is, you're, you're going to have a tough time in the match. And so, yeah, they were fortunate to get the draw. Um, a credit, though, to Allison and Net. Brazil's had some some goalie issues in the past couple of, of, of international breaks. I think this break, for sure, even though he allowed four goals over the two matches, I think he kind of stuck himself out in front of everybody else and said, OK, I want to be. Brazil's number one keeper, and I, and I think he did that, and I think he had a very good break. There were a couple saves that he made that were really impressive, so I think going forward, at least as of now, Alisson should be the number one for Brazil. No, I hear you on that. It, it was funny because um, I, I didn't actually realize the goalkeeping coach for, for, for Brazil at the moment is Tafarel. And, and he, he was working with them, and, and they announced him in the stadium and so on. First thing I, I, to counter on that is the, the people of Recife love David Luiz. For whatever reason, he is, he can do no wrong. Even when he's marauding up the pitch, leaving Miranda at one stage was shaking his head because he was all alone. Um, it, it, it was bizarre. Um, but, but they love him. And maybe it is because he's this marauding player who goes forward from the back and whatnot. You know, Brazilians sort of love that. But, uh, you know, Dunga, Dunga is coming under, under a lot of questions at the minute. And, and, you know, I think his days are numbered. You know, he, he's very unpopular in Brazil. Very, very, very unpopular. The, 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 the noises that were made towards him when his name was announced over the Tannoy and so on, you know, would suggest this is a man on his very last legs. Let's, let's be honest with Dunga. He was never, his days were numbered from the second he got the job. I don't think anyone ever expected him to be super successful with this. And so, no, it's not really surprising that he's struggling, and it's not really surprising that this has happened. It was we kind of knew this was going to happen when Dunga got the job, and and it's disappointing that that this is the decision the CBFA has chosen to make. Um, but yeah, you're exactly right. Dunga's days are numbered. Uh, I would be surprised if he makes it to the next international matches. We'll see what happens at the Copa America, but there's rumbles now that he's not going to coach the Olympics. And so, yeah, Dunga's days are numbered. He's not going to be Brazilian coach for very much longer. No, I, I hear you, Austin. You know, to be fair, um, Dunga is a, is a man, I would say, one defeat away from, from losing his job. He, he's the most unpopular man um, in Brazil here. Uh, you know, the, the noises that were made in the stadium when, when his name was announced over the Tannoy and so on would leave you in no doubt to the, to the feeling of the people. You know, they were booing Suarez, but I can, I can assure you what Dunga got was 10 times worse. And, and you know, really for Alisson, I agree with what you're saying. I think he looks a great prospect uh, for Brazil. But 
There are a few little issues with him. He was nearly lobbed on a couple of occasions by Suarez because he has this tendency not even just to leave his line, but at one stage he was actually across the halfway line in the opposition half, and he he goes walk about. It's kind of weird when you when you see it. You might not pick it up on television, but it was like wow, I've never seen a goalkeeper go that far forward before. Adam, for you, uh, what, what did what did you make of of uh, the Brazil Uruguay game? Certainly for me, I, I thought Cavani and and, and certainly Sanchez. And Suarez were just out of this world performers. Yeah, it was a it was a strange game, really. You know, because I thought Brazil in that first thirty minutes were probably the best I've seen them for a long, long time. And I thought, oh wow, what's what's happening here? Is this really a Dunga team? Is this really Brazil I'm watching? Because it, it, they were free flowing in attack. Uh, they looked dangerous. You know, every time they went forward. They scored two classy goals, and yeah, it was uh, it was it was kind of a surprise to me when Uruguay got back into the game. But on the other hand, with the Brazil defence how it is, and the refusal to pick their best defender, you know, maybe my surprise shouldn't have been that big. No, and again, you know, Zalgalo came out uh, with with quite a few statements this week, and one of them was, you know, just the bizarre. Uh, the bizarre question of, of Thiago Silva. To many, he's the best defender in the world. To Dunga, he, he's not fit to wear the, the yellow shirt of Brazil. Uh, you know, and, and it's not an area that Brazil would be particularly strong in. And the, th- you know, I, I know that the, the CBF, and there's a lot of noises at the moment in the CBF around this, and uh, the, 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 the dissatisfaction basically, uh, in Dunga's selections. And I know Marcelo was another player who's been, uh, dropped at the moment. And, and again, that, that's causing a lot of controversy here in Brazil. You know, I, 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 there's maybe a clash of personalities or something, something we don't know, but it just, why would you not pick Thiago Silva? Well, there, Dunga, Dunga has, Basically, come out and said why uh, why he doesn't pick him. Um, I've heard Tim Vickery talk about it many times. Um, the reason he doesn't pick him was that because of his behaviour during the 2000 and World Cup, 2014 World Cup, specifically how he acted during the penalty shootout between Brazil and Chile. Dunga felt that Diego Silva was very weak by a not taking a penalty. And B, when the penalties were taken, he was looking away and not watching them. And and he felt that this was kind of a disgraceful um, behaviour from a national team captain. And when he did bring him into the side in the Copa America this year, you know, he gave away that silly penalty against Paraguay as well. So I, I just feel that Dunga, there's, the clash comes from that Dunga just feels that he doesn't trust him. No, and, and you know that that's fair enough. But you know, would would you? It's the David Louis question, really. You, you know, it, it, it's just when you have him in defence, you may as well be a man down. You know, as I say, he just loses his mind. He's not the player that he is in PSG. You know, he, he's a better player. I'm not saying he's a wonderful player, but he's a better player for PSG than he is. Brazil because he gets the ball at his feet and, and he thinks he's a number 10 and it's quite frightening as I say Miranda's reaction at one stage of the shaking of the head it was absolutely priceless um, and Luis was, was away up he was near the 18 yard box in the opposite end it's just just bizarre to see 
Um, David Louise gets carried away with the emotion, doesn't he, when he plays for the national team? That's that's pretty clear. It was clear in the World Cup two years ago, and it was, it was clear the other night in Rissi. It's so interesting to me yeah. that that David Louise gets carried away with the emotion and goes walk about and is running in his front half, and and yet the reason Dunga's not picking Thiago Silva seems to be because he got carried away with the emotion. It's important to understand, like. How massive of a moment that penalty shootout was at the time, and you know, I don't know. It just seems foolish to me to hold something like that against somebody because he was an emotional person, and the emotions of the moment caught up to him. That's not a good enough reason to not pick your best defender. It's, it's no, and, uh, not, show your emotion, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and also, you you know, I know it is pr- pretty much traditional that the captain steps up in a penalty shootout and leads by example and so on. But there's the odd one that doesn't. Um, there's the other one that's maybe just a terrible penalty taker and can't lead by. He's a, he's a center back uh, too. Like it's okay yeah. if your center back can't make penalties. And of course, very true. Of course, the late great Johan Cruyff, he very rarely took a penalty. And and, and, again, and again, there's players who just don't 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 subscribe to taking penalties. I, I understand, you know, the national anthems and everything. They like to be to be honest, David Luiz and, and Thiago Silva did get a little bit over the top of the tears and everything. But you know, at the end of the day, this is your World Cup qualification here. You know, your job's teetering on the line, and still you ignore your best defender, and albeit one of your best players, probably one of the best three players in the pitch. Thiago Silva would be. Um, but I, I want to ask you both about um, what, what you thought of um, Mr. Costa's performance, Douglas Costa. Uh, as I say, he was absolutely phenomenal in that first half against Uruguay and then just seemed to, to evaporate. I don't know whether it was the defence got a better got a better um, sort of grip on him, uh, better read on him. But the first half, that kid was absolutely sensational. Um, did, did either of you pick up on it in Austin? Yeah, I mean, he, you know, he was the one who, who put the goal past 40 seconds in. So uh, that's quite the debut, but you're exactly right. He was fantastic in that first half. He's got speed. He's got ability up those wings. He can, he can really make a difference. And, and I think that's really important for Brazil. I think the interesting thing with Douglas Costa is that he plays the position that you'd like Neymar to play is that he's, he's most fit on that left wing. And that's kind of feels like where Neymar would play. So what is the best way to be able to get them on the pitch together? And that's why I think Neymar ends up playing. The false nine, but he was incredible in that first half, uh, and then he fell away in the second half. And I think a lot of that is due to the fact that the Uruguayan back line got 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 better as the game went on. And we had talked about you know talking about it before the game. This was kind of a put together Uruguayan back line. They were missing some of their better players. Um, they had to go to some domestic players on that back line, and so I think they just kind of played better as the match went on. I think that's a bit a bit more of the explanation as to as to why. Douglas Costa's more in the second half. Yeah, and, and also whenever Coutinho came on, um, Douglas Costa was moved sort of a, a more central position, I think, as well. Adam, for you, were you, were you impressed by Costa? Much like what Austin just said, um, and and yourself, you know, in in the first half, like a lot of the Brazilian attackers, you know, he was dominant. He was all over that Uruguayan defence who looked nervous and edgy. You know, it was a makeshift back four. But as Austin quite rightly said, you know, they grew into the game. And as they grow into the game, his influence and Neymar's influence was, and Williams' influence was a lot less. No, well, I think Williams' influence basically died around sort of 30 minute mark. Uh, he, he was no longer effective in any way. And normally he's a standout performer for me, uh, for, for, for Brazil, but, you know, well, yeah, by he, the first 30 minutes. 
he's arguably been Brazil's best player over the last couple of years. Absolutely. I, I, I couldn't, I, I would actually rate his performances for Brazil higher than Neymar's over the last couple of years. He's been absolutely outstanding. But listen, I'm going to stay with you. Uh, we'll, we'll move on to the next Chile game and then we'll, we'll mop up the best of the rest after. Um, quite a cavalier 4-1 victory away from home. Uh, Adam, I, I, take it, I take it you were well pleased with it. Yeah, it was. Um, I, I was a little bit nervous beforehand. Again, you know, Chile had quite a few players missing and especially the goalkeeper, Claudio Bravo, which is a pretty big miss. Johnny Herrera came in, who has been in poor form for a couple of years now, and he let a he let a bag free kick go in. You know, he was beaten by the swerve on the free kick, but his positioning to start was was dreadful. Um, and spot on, that, absolutely spot on. <laughs> in that in that in that first thirty minutes, you know, Venezuela were really in Chile's faces, and I think. Kind of what happened is that they just ran out of steam. I think they just put so much effort into that first 30 minutes. And once Chile equalised, it kind of just knocked them for six. No, indeed. But, but you know, you came back, the, the, the Chileans came back swinging. They didn't, you know, they, they put in a very, very good performance at the end and, you know, ran away, far and away, comfortable winners. I, I think the, the fact that, Arturo Vidal, you know, he came back into the side for this after he was suspended for the game against Argentina. You know, I think if he had played that game, I can't see that Chile would have lost that um, with him in midfield. But yeah, he, he he turned up one of his best Chile performances I've seen actually on um, on Tuesday night. And uh, and there was also two goals for Mauricio Binia. You know, this is a player who has got a decent scoring record in Italy over the years but he hasn't been able to really win a place in the in the Chile national team he's he's always been a little bit of a nearly man you know he's a famous uh, shot that he had in in the last minute of extra time against Brazil in the World Cup which I'm sure you remember which hit the bar you know that's kind of the story of his international career really you know so near but yet, yet so far but the other night you know he managed to grab a brace against Venezuela. That's his first goals for Chile for 11 years. Wow. (laughs) And and his last goals also came against Venezuela. So, (laughs) yeah, he he likes playing. Venezuelan defendetta by the time. He, he likes playing in um, in Venezuela, it seems. No, indeed. Austin, for for you, did you pick up this game? I, I, th- I thought it was a cracking game, personally. And, and what Adam says as well about uh, Arturo Vidal, he, he was he was outstanding. I think Chile should be commended because they did what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to play Venezuela wherever it is you play them, and you're supposed to beat them down, and you're supposed to win. And they did that, and that's credit to them. You know, They fell behind a little early, so you know that's... But they were able to bounce back from that. They got the the two goals from Pnia, and then seeing Arturo Vidal score twice, I'm sure was was good for the Chileans to see him put in a good performance. And for Chile to come out of of this break and with three points, I think they're probably happy with that. You know, we talked about the first game that they they probably should have had four, and that would have been great. Uh, but three points is more than good enough considering the situation they were in without some of their better players and with having to play, as Adam mentioned, uh, Herrera in goal instead of of Claudio Bravo, you know, that is a big step down for this side. And so 
to push your way through that and, and batter a Venezuela team that is that is always beatable. I think, you know, they're they're happy with that. And I think that that's a good performance from them over this international break. No, indeed. I'll come back to you again, Adam. You know, what's the perception there in Chile of, of where you stand? You know, the, the six games played, 10 points. Uh, you know, are, are, is, are you meeting expectation? Are you exceeding expectation? Are you just comfortable with where you are? I think I think most people are realistic. You know, this this campaign's been difficult because of the departure of San Paoli after after Game Four, and also these suspensions and injuries in these last two matches uh, has hindered has in, has hindered Chile somewhat. Chile's running is quite is quite kind. You know, they've had a fairly difficult start, and as long as they're Around sort of fifth or sixth place, going into like those last four or five games, I, th- I think they're qualify. No, as I say, it's, it's, it's hard to see them not qualifying out of the, out of this group. To be honest, on on current form, unless something goes drastically wrong. But we'll move along again, and we'll cover Brazil's second game again. Another two 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 draw. This time it was a complete reverse. Uh, they came back from two 0 down um, to to, to equalise and, and steal a point. Yeah, Austin. Thoughts on this one because it, you know I I really felt sorry for Paraguay they were good for the win in my opinion um, it must be said as well Neymar got himself a yellow card and was suspended for uh, uh, this game he got the yellow card against Uruguay and uh, and you know Brazil without him even looked even more laboured that they had uh, Ricardo Oliveira starting the game 35 years old hardly what you would class as inspirational for 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 a team that's won five World Cups. <laughs> you know, Austin, what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, Brazil were extremely fortunate to get a point in this game. I think it was uh, David Danny Alves's goal. Uh, that saved Dunga's job because if they would have lost this game, Dunga would have been packing his bags. I think he's packing his bags. 100%. 100%. Right. But yeah, the fact that Danny Alves was able to push that in, Brazil were quite fortunate to take a draw from this. I I just and maybe this is because I watched uh, the Brazil down and I watch Brazilian domestic football and so I'm a bit jaded. But when Neymar is out, I don't understand why Lucas Lima doesn't start for this team. I think he's one of the best playmaking options they have. I think he's a better option in the midfield. I think that, than, that was perfectly demonstrated by his performance that night because he he single handedly yes. changed the game for, in my opinion. Absolutely, he's a great player and he's going to be a, a great playmaker wherever he ends up going in Europe eventually. But I think he's a better option than both Renato Augusto and Ferranginho in the midfield, especially when Neymar is out because he gives you that that playmaking 10 attacking midfielder type of role. And if you're going to play Hikaru Oliveira, and we can argue about whether that's the, the right choice or not, Lucas Lima and Hikaru Oliveira have a connection together. They've played at Santos for a couple years now and they work well together. So if you're going to start Hikaru Oliveira, back that up and start Lucas Lima and let those two work together like they've shown they can do with Santos. And you're exactly right. The second Lucas Lima walked onto this pitch, the team was able to pull their way back in this game and got a draw. And it's going to be a battle if Brazil are going to qualify for the World Cup. Right now they sit sixth and that's out of it. And the way that South America is this time around, there are seven teams that are that are tough. It's it's Uruguay, Ecuador, Argentina, Chile, Colombia, Brazil, and Paraguay. Those are the seven teams that are difficult. And then you have Peru, Bolivia, and Venezuela. Those are the three that you need to take all your points against those three. And it's going to be difficult. And, and Bolivia, Bolivia, Bolivia exactly. away always brings us. <laughs> we, we, right. we talk about this often. Bolivia away brings its own problems. Absolutely. You have to go play up in the sky when you go to La Paz. So... 
you basically have five matches that you can consider gimmies. You have Peru twice, Venezuela twice, and Bolivia at home. And that means that you have uh, what's you have 13 matches that aren't gimmies. And so it's it's difficult. And Brazil getting a point here is it's important. But the fact that they went two matches and did not get a win in either of them when they should have probably beaten Uruguay is it's it's tough and it's it's telling and it's going to be an 18 round fight for Brazil to qualify for this World Cup for anybody to qualify for this World Cup. I don't think anybody in Conmebol is going to run away with qualification. I think they've shown that so far. Ecuador were out in front and they had a poor week, so it's going to be difficult. And you know, Conmebol World Cup qualifying is the best because it is. It is your best versus our best. We're going to play you once at home and once on the road, and we're going to do it. And that's how we're going to decide who goes to the World Cup. It, you know, There's no luck of the draw here. It's, it's you're going and you're playing, and that's how it's going to be. You have to earn your way to the World Cup. So it, it's, it's madly entertaining, but it's also madly frustrating for Brazil because it's for them. No, I, I hear Adam, Adam, for you, you know, this Paraguayan team, we, we know any team from Paraguay is going to be streetwise. They're, going to, they're not going to take any prisoners, and you know, you're, you're going to end up with a game. But they, they decimated Brazil for, for a long period of that game. I'd say up until Lucas Lima came on and, and the game did change. And, and at 2-0 down, you just couldn't see a way back for Brazil. And, you know, the absence of Neymar, um, you know, it's just a lackluster completely uh, for a team that really, as Austin said, you know, they're under pressure. These, This is not the great Brazil sides of the past that, that went and basically from a position of supremacy went to, went to Paraguay and expected to take all three points. You, you know, even before this game, I know that between the three of us, we said, you know, it could be a banana skin for them waiting to happen. I, I thought Paraguay were good for the points. Your thoughts? Oh, yeah, I, I felt that. Paraguay deserved to win this one, but I think if I was a if I was a fan of the Paraguay national side, I'd be a little bit concerned at their fitness levels because against um, Ecuador and Brazil, they conceded uh, in injury time. So instead of getting six points from these two games and looking really well placed for Russia 2018, they've ended up with two, and um, and they're outside the they're outside the uh, places. To go to Russia, so yeah, it, it, it was a strange one. I think their big positive is the breakthrough of Dario Lescano on the international scene. You know, he he had an excellent week, scoring goals against Ecuador and Brazil, and, and arguably man of the match in both. Uh, and they needed someone like that to come through for them. I think, you know, this is a nation who qualified for the 2010 World Cup. And we're really looking forward to going across the border and um, and playing in Brazil. And then they had a disastrous qualifying campaign, and they didn't make it. And uh, and they were nowhere near making it either. So it, this is that campaign sort of acted as a bit of a real rebuilding process. They had a decent showing in the Copa America last year, and they've started off fairly well in the, in the, in this qualifying campaign. But it's definitely room for improvement. I haven't got that solidity which you associate with Paraguay sides of the past. No, but but still they're effective. You know, and, and as I say... In, in hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. With, with this group in South America, there, there's so little, you know, as Austin said, there, there's seven teams there, seven, eight teams, and there's so little to choose between them. Um, you know, it's a very, very level playing field. And I think it, it's part of the reason why it's so sort of captivating to watch South America at the moment on, on, on a qualification campaign, because it is just so level. You can never really put your hand in your heart and predict the way things will go. Would, would you class that as a fair assumption? Yeah, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's very tough to, to see how the World Cup qualifying in South America pans out. Um, as Austin quite rightly said, you know, it's, it's the most competitive in the world. There's hardly any easy games, although I will point out that Brazil, their, their only two wins so far have come in home games against Peru and Venezuela. So two, two of their home bankers have already been and gone. Okay, they got maximum points from them, but it shows you that they are struggling to pick up points in more difficult games. No, um, it was actually fascinating watching, you know, I follow a lot of Brazilian people on Twitter and so on. And, you know, when the score was 2-0, there was almost like a celebratory mood going, you know, this is the end of it. This is the end of our suffering. He's going to go. <laughs> and when they equalized, it was just it was just an outpouring of sort of rage that they were going to have to suffer Dunga a little bit longer. And there was the hope then, I think the CBF had had an emergency meeting the week past there. Um, to, to discuss his future. And all in all, I think that they said that they might persevere on um, through to the summer with him. But honestly, I don't know what your opinion would be. I'll come to Austin on this one. Do you think it, it would be wrong to, to change before the Copa America? I don't think there's really any importance in the Copa America for Brazil. I think the tournament that matters this summer is the Olympics. And I know it's only an under-23 tournament and you only get the three overage players, but... I think Brazil would trade a gold medal at the at the Olympics uh, for a poor Copa America performance. And it should also be noted that Brazil got a very, very easy draw at the Copa America. I think uh, you or I could probably go and manage this team and get out of the group stages at least uh, of the Copa America. So, you know, they're going to be fine at the Copa America. They're probably 
going to go out in the quarterfinals or the semifinals again. And that's not great for them. But if, if they can bounce back and win a gold medal at the Olympics, I think everything will be okay. I don't think Dunga is going to be the manager much longer. And I think not winning a Copa America would probably be enough to do that. But I think that's probably in the best interest of Brazilian football right now. If this continues on, I don't know if I can see Dunga getting this team to the World Cup. And that would be a seismic event for Brazil, not making a World Cup. So, you know, I think Dunga needs to go. And what they do then is going to be, it's going to say a lot about where Brazilian football is right now. Are they going to go back to one of the Brazilian manager retreads and just kind of jump into the roulette that Brazilian clubs have been taking? Or would they be a little progressive and, and maybe get Chi-Chi? who's been so successful at Corinthians and or maybe even God forbid they go out and they get a foreign manager that's probably not going to happen but you know what do they do when they get rid of Dunga I think is almost a bigger question of when do they get rid of him yeah well it was a disgrace that Brazil got seeded for the Copa America <laughs> anyway. that, yeah that should have been Chile okay we're going to take a break here uh, and we'll be straight back after these messages you're listening, You're listening to, to the Anfield Index Podcast channel. Okay, so moving swiftly along, we'll, we'll leave Brazil behind and Chile behind for now. And we'll look at another team at the moment that, that I find quite exciting. Uh, they went to the top of the world in Bolivia and got a 3-2 result uh, in, in the first uh, first game, and that's Colombia. Uh, and as Adam so likes so likes to do on Twitter, it's the uh, Marlis Moreno Claxton time. <laughs> Adam, uh, <laughs> what, what what did you make of Colombia this time? It, it was it was a great game that uh, against Bolivia, wasn't it? Well, yeah, just just as it looked like they had they had blown it. You know, Colombia were two 0 up in this game, cruising. Bolivia hit back two two, and you're thinking, ah, oh, there's only going to be one winner now. You know, Colombia looked like they were struggling with the altitude of of La Paz, and then who comes onto the pitch? But our friend Marlos Moreno. And what an impact he had on his international debut. He came on, he created a chance within like the first couple of minutes he was on the pitch. And then a few minutes later, he sets up the winner for a vital 3-2 win for, for Colombia. And they followed that up with a with a, another very impressive victory against Ecuador a few days later, which leaves them right back in the hunt for Russia 2018. Uh, Marlos Moreno is a player that um, we've been wanting to discuss on this pod for weeks now. For those who don't know, he's a striker for um, Atletico Nacional in Colombia. Um, Atletico Nacional are performing superbly in the Copa Libertadores so far this year um, with four wins out of four. And Moreno has been the it has been the catalyst for their superb form in that tournament. And he's carried his form over from there to the national side, which was just great to see. No, indeed. And, you know, he just, no, he, the last round of the Libertadores, he took a little bit off form, was uh, substituted off. But with his age, you're always going to get that. But when he's in the mood, Adam, that kid is just, I mean, he's, he's fucking special, isn't he? Yeah, well... I think one of the most impressive things about him is if you take the winning goal that Colombia scored against Bolivia, you know, he'd already beaten two or three players on on his on his run towards goal. Now I think so many young players at that point would just go for glory. But no, he keeps his head, looks up, sees him at, sees his teammate Cardona in a better position and sets him up for for the winner. And and, that, and, that, and that's one of the best things about this player that I really love to see. You know, he, he's got really good decision making 
at such a young age. He, he's a real individual talent, but knows how to play in a team as well. No, absolutely, and and you know that that as you as you write that maturity that he shows is, is just wonderful. You know, I keep referring to him as a cross between uh, Fastino Espria and uh, the swagger of Robbie Fowler, and and, and you know with his finishing and everything which he saw in a little bit of doors, he's you know he, he's very very good. Austin, do you, do you want to sort of gush a little bit about him as well? Yes, please. I was hoping you would ask. Good, my goodness, what a player! So the thing about Marlos Moreno that's so impressive is. He played five minutes against Bolivia. He came on in the 84th minute. And the second he stepped on the pitch, the whole match changed. As as both of you mentioned, Bolivia pulled this back to 2-2. And it was like in the altitude. There is no way Colombia is going to hang on to 2-2, let alone go and get a winner. And then on trots Marlos Moreno. And he makes a massive impact right away. He delivers the ball that leads to the goal. And my goodness, he is such a player. And and I haven't followed South American football for an incredibly long time. I think this is my second or third year of really diving into it and just being engrossed by it. And it's so fun to watch a player that is 19 years old and to be able to say to yourself, this kid is going to be somebody. And so, you know, six or seven years from now, when Marlos Moreno is tearing it up for for Barcelona or PSG or whatever big European club he'll end up with eventually to be able to kind of look back and say, I remember when Marlos Moreno and Atletico Nacional ran through the Copa Libertadores, or I remember watching on TV his first five minutes in a Colombia shirt and being able to say, this kid is going to be great. And that is what's so impressive about him. He brings so much to the table at 19. He's already so physically impressive. He has the pace. He has the size. He has the strength. You know, a lot of times a 19-year-old will come up. And and for my beloved Palmeiras, they have this right now with Gabriel Jesus, who is a great player, but he's just not physically there yet. He's still got a small body. He still has weight that he could put on. But with Marlos, he's he's so gosh darn strong that he's just so impressive to watch. And he's got a feathery touch. He can cross balls in. He's got a rocket when he needs to to finish. And he's a great player. I don't think there's any question about that. And he's going to be a great player. And it's going to be... A lot of fun watching him develop as a player and to be able to say, I watched him when I think that's what's most exciting about him. No, what's most exciting about him is Liverpool are scouting him at the minute. <laughs> For me, that's the, that's the biggest thing. It's just that confidence of that kid with the ball at his feet as well you know for, for such a young player the way he can dribble a ball the control of the ball that little bit of flair you know a little bit of flair a, a massive amount of flair he, it's just a joy to watch uh, you know and and and, and when, when he comes on or you're, you as you, as you rightly say you watch a athletic uh, game in, in uh, the libertadores it's just you, your whole day is in anticipation of seeing this kid because you know, we did a pod with Tim Vickery recently, and, and I had an opportunity to actually speak to him before the pod. And, he, you know, he talked to me about seeing Messi, he saw Suarez, he saw them all basically come through in his 20-odd years here. But he said he's just so excited about this kid, and he has just, you know, he has tipped him for stardom. And it's really hard to argue, Austin. No, you're exactly right. Your whole day is built around, okay, what time is Marlos Moreno stepping on a football field, and how can I watch his 90 minutes? Atletico Nacional have done that in Libertadores, and yeah, his form dipped a little bit in their last couple of group state matches, but as you said, Dave, that's to be expected with a 19-year-old. The tools are all there, and I think most importantly is at least from the outside looking in of course we're not in the clubhouse we're not we're not seeing him in his daily conversation but it seems like he's got his head on right and as as adam mentioned he beats two players on this run and there are so many young players that they are launching that shot from wherever because they've earned it because they've beaten two players and they have a vague vague view of goal but 
he sees that there's a player in a better position and he makes the play. And I think that is what is most exciting for me is that Marlos Moreno is able to function with 10 other players and function quite well with them and to always be making the play that will help his team the most, not just help himself the most. No, and indeed, that's absolutely spot on. Absolutely spot on what you're saying. Adam, Adam, for you, the, the game against Ecuador, Carlos Baca had a, had a wonderful game. I thought, I thought he was absolutely fantastic in it. And, you know, they, they, they brushed aside Ecuador three to one. Um, and they look good. Uh, you know, at, at this moment in time, you would sort of say, you know, Colombia, are, are looking good for, for, for going forward and, and gaining entry to the World Cup. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I, I, it, well, against Ecuador, Colombia were back to their best. You know, that, that was their best performance since the second, uh, last 16 of the uh, 2014 World Cup. I think I've watched every competitive Colombia match since then. And I'd say that that was their best performance you know they were they were fluid again you know their the defense and midfield and attacking were and their attack were all connecting it seems like Beckerman sort of stumbled upon uh excellent front three of James, Backer and Cuadrado and he now has Marlos Moreno backing him up which is pretty exciting for him I'd imagine so it, it's it's certainly it's certainly a country I I'd expect to qualify for Russia I had my doubts in the in, in the opening rounds because it just seemed like it it wasn't happening for them. But like they do seem to have clicked in these last couple of weeks, um, and I'm quite looking forward to seeing them in the Copper America this year, and then see how they progress from there. If they can keep their recent form up, then I think they could be a dark horse to take that title in the states. No, absolutely, and 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 I think the news coming out as well. Brazil aren't going to be much of a threat. Neymar's playing play the Olympics, so you, you know, uh, again, one of the sort of the big hitters is is sort of going in less than than full strength. Uh, I'll come to you, Austin. Uruguay uh, beat Peru one one nil in the second round of games as well. Again, top of the group, you know, with Cavani and Suarez and, uh, sort of on form and, and and clicking with each other very very well. At the minute. Again, it's very very hard to see Uruguay anywhere else but being in a qualification spot come the end of it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And the thing about Uruguay is they can play a very physical brand of football so that if things aren't clicking with Suarez and Cavani up top, they can gut out a win. And that's kind of what they did against Peru in this match. They didn't. They weren't at their best. Peru, Peru had their moments, uh, but Uruguay got the win. I would be remiss if I did not mention this. I don't know if either of you caught this, uh, but the story from this match is actually Paulo Guijero, Peru's striker, who played 90 minutes for Peru on Tuesday against Uruguay in Uruguay, then caught a plane yes. to Brasilia and played 90 minutes for Flamengo on Wednesday against, uh, I think, against Vasco da Gama in their state yep. league. Ridiculous. In, in a, in a, in a showpiece in Bra- which they took to Brasilia, two, two Rio clubs yeah. and they took to Brasilia because this stadium is sitting and basically going to rubble and they're trying to, trying to attract people and, and even the crowd. I don't know whether you picked that up, Austin. The crowd was pitiful. The crowd in Brasilia was absolutely yeah. pitiful for it. Yeah. And, and you just question the sanity and, and protection of players and, and their fitness and their conditions and so on. It, it beggars belief in, in 2016 that, that, is Brazil a country for football that is so backward that they're going to do that? It beggars belief. I, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I don't know how you can consciously do that to a player. It's difficult enough to play 90 minutes in an international 
and then come back and play 90 minutes on Saturday to play 90 minutes on Tuesday and then be asked to take a plane for a four or five hour flight and then play 90 minutes the very next night in a kind of high stakes game against a rival. How can you do that if you're Flamengo? I have no idea. That's it just it boggles my mind that they were allowed to do that. It's, it's ridiculous. You can't do that. That's disgusting. You can't do that with a player, especially a player as important as Guijedo is. It's, it's poor. You can't do that. Yeah, really. Um, especially if you, if, you, if you think that Brazil, you know, one of the big reasons for their success um, in the past was the fact that their fitness coaching um, and physical conditioning was a lot more advanced than other teams in the world. And I think what we've seen in recent years is that they haven't had that advantage anymore. And their fitness coaching isn't the best in the world anymore. And I think we've seen some evidence of that on the pitch. No, you're absolutely right, Adam. You know, I, I remember doing another pod in the 1950 World Cup and where, where Brazil were so far ahead of the rest of the nations in, in conditioning and dietary requirements and having doctors with them for their squad when no one else had it. And it just seems like the whole world has turned on its head in Brazil and, and nobody seems to give a shit about, uh, about, you know, the welfare of anything. Um, you know, and, and it goes really down. Even, even you take the, you know, the merry-go-round of, of international managers here in Brazil. You, you know, it's, it's the same, same people going round and round and round. There's no new ideas. There's no, there's no way forward. And I think it's, it's half the problem here is that the, the country as it is will not, unless you're going to get a Guardiola or a Mourinho, someone, a massive name as a foreigner coming in here, they're never going to be res- respected. They're never going to be given time. And, and I think that that goes for, for the ideals of, of what Europe do as well in conditioning and fitness coaches and, and dietary requirements and so on. Again, Brazil don't, don't like to be told they're doing something wrong and, and they like to be innovators. And, and just at the moment, that's not happening for them. Oh, does anybody want to respond? <laughs> anybody? <laughs> you never mentioned the name. So. <laughs> oh, I, come on, we're, we're all friends. We're going to just bail in. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll, t- I'll take it. I think the thing with Brazil is you're exactly right. For them to embrace a foreign manager, a new idea, it's going to take a, a cat for them. And we've had this discussion before. I remember, Dave, when, when you and I and Robbie recapped the Brazil on last season, we had the discussion of, you know, what is Brazil going to do at manager if, if Dunga ever go when Dunga goes? And I don't think Brazil will ever be open to a foreign manager unless they miss the World Cup. I think that is the only event that would be cataclysmic enough for Brazil to say, Okay, we need to try something new because if losing to Germany 7-1 on the World Cup on your home soil isn't enough to say, okay, we need to kind of break this down and start over, I don't know what is. Because if your reaction to losing to Germany in the most embarrassing way fashion is to say, you know what, we're going to pick Dunga. He's going to get it done. That's it, it just doesn't work. And so until they miss yeah, a World we've been, Cup. We've been there before. We've exactly. Been there before. We know what Dunga can't and, do. Right. And that is what Brazilian football is right now. It's happening in the national team. It's happening in the club game is the solution to the problem seems to be to bring back the guy who you fired three years ago, who's terrible. And that's what these clubs are doing. They're cycling through the same names. And it's so painful to watch because it's it's just not working for anybody. It's not working for the national team. It's not working for the clubs. When we talk about the Libertadores again, we'll get into how Brazilian clubs are struggling there. And so Brazilian football needs to have a, a pretty big culture shift in order to kind of get back to not just the top of South America, but to get back to a place where they can 
consciously tell themselves they could theoretically compete with a European league because with where they're at right now, they're not particularly close. They're not within a light year of it, to be honest with you. Um, sorry, Adam, go ahead. I totally agree with Austin. Um, but, and I just want to add that, you know, I think they, the CBF, CBF need to swallow their nationalistic pride. And just offer the job to an Argentine, and that Argentine being Jorge Sampaoli. Just think oh, what. Jesus. <laughs> Look, we, Adam, we have enough problems with street protest here at the minute with an Argentinian in charge of the, the national team in Brazil. Uh, I think it's a bridge too far at this moment. <laughs> just think for a minute how good Sampaoli would make that Brazil side. You know, but, but no, I, players, I, don't, I don't doubt it. There's players there which are basically slight upgrades on on the Chile side he had, you know, it would basically be similar quality going forward to what he had with Chile, but with a better defence, you know, if, if he plays Diego Silva, which I'm sure he would, I'm sure he wouldn't be petty like Dunga. Yeah, I, I just, I obviously, I understand the historical rivalry between Brazil and Argentina, you know, I understand that that makes it unlikely, but as a football fan, certainly not as a Chile fan, but as a football fan, you know, it's just something well, I'd love to see. No, I, I'm open to anything that, that brings them back, to, you know, to the top end again. You, you know, I, 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 you know, I followed Brazil from when I was a kid. You know, it was always sort of fantasy football, and and it just pains me to see them struggling so badly. And so it's, it's just so such a poor, abject, you know, game that they play. And and, and certainly Dunga has a lot to do with that. But you know, along the lines of. Again, I, I want to I want to pose it to, to Austin. You, you know, they, they say Cheech won't li- leave uh, Corinthians uh, while they're in the Copa de Libertadores. But can you really see much of a difference if Cheech took over? Uh, you know, in mentality and in, in how that how it would be how it would be organised. Because personally, I don't. He comes from the same sort of pool of talent with the same mentality. It, 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 for me, it's about breaking out of that more than it is sustaining it. You're right that that Chichi is a he's a Brazilian manager in every sense of the word. But if the CBF are going to continue to choose Brazilian managers, I think Chich has to be the option. I think that has to be where you have to go. And I think he would be better than Dunga is. Uh, I don't think we'd necessarily see Brazil make make this massive jump forward. But I think that there would be steps that they would take. And I think that would be positive steps. Um I think Adam is a little out of left field with Sampaoli. I think we should uh, we should take small steps with Brazil. And I think <laughs> hiring any foreign manager, let's do that first. And then we can talk about maybe some line hiring, God forbid, an Argentine. Um, I think, you know, I think that's where that kind of question goes. But I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying about Chichi, Dave. I think, you know, he kind of is what he is and he and he comes from that Brazilian mold. I don't think you'd see a massive upgrade, but I, I do think you would see an upgrade, uh, mainly because I think you'd see an upgrade with just about anybody over Dunga, even some of the other retreads. So, yeah, I would be happy with 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 Chichi as as Brazilian national team manager with also knowing deep down that there's probably not going to be massive change for the squad. But I think. There would be positive change, at, le- at least in some. No, I, I hear you on that. Listen, I, I want to sort of round this off with the other. You mentioned Argentina, you know, and we, we talked about them against Chile, but they had another victory um, during the international break. They had a 2 0 victory at home against Bolivia. Adam, your thoughts on it? Um, again, six points, maximum points taken. They do look again, sort of 
no problem with qualification. They're they're taking over quite nicely. While they're not setting the world on fire, the points are falling in. I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah, well, the the Argentines that I follow on Twitter, despite the victory, were quite unhappy with the uh, with the performance of Argentina. Um, yeah, hence hence the tick, ticking along. You know, it, it's it's just workmen like they're just ticking along. Yeah. Two 0 at home to Bolivia is the very minimum requirement, really. But what does uh, the, the most interesting thing about this game for me was that the that the pitch that they played the match on was a was a right state because there was an Iron Maiden concert a few days beforehand, and uh, and it seemed like somebody had forgot to tell the Argentinian FA about it because <laughs> schedule. A vital World Cup qualifier just a few days after an Iron Maiden concert. I don't know. The pitch was really patchy. Well, we, we the know sad, the South the Americans sad, are. The sad, th- the sad thing about that is it's not even surprising. Like, just hearing, <laughs> oh, Argentina, they played on a field that Iron Maiden played on a couple of days ago. It's like, yeah, yeah, that happens in South America. That's a thing that goes on. So, yeah, yeah that happens South, in Brazil South, all the time, too. Yeah, they're masters of organization here in Brazil. Yeah, I can I can only imagine it's, it's infectious around the the, the region. The real question, you know, think, the real question is, did the lights go out or did they stay on for the entire ninety minutes? Oh, I think they stayed on all right. Well, there you go. <laughs> for, they for did something right. Yeah, we, as I say, with the Libertadores, we always get some power failure or something dramatic happening. Uh, but but as I say, these, you know, as I say, what, what did you make them yourself, Austin? Because you know, again, it, it's it's not inspiring. They needed a penalty late. From from Messi to, to even get the two nil, um, you know it was a business like it was uninspiring. But as I say, they, they come away from the international break maximum points. That you know, as Adam says, yeah, there's there's a bit, a bit of sort of you know stamping of the heels. But at the end of the day, six points are six points. Six points are six points. Brazil would be pretty thrilled with six points at this point, considering they got two. So great against Chile. I think you could say Chile deserved to get the draw there, and we did say that. And then they beat Bolivia 2-0, ho-hum, they did what you're supposed to do. When Bolivia comes and, and plays you at home, that's what you do, is you beat them, and you beat them easily, and you beat them without much effort. And so maybe it's not beautiful football, but the thing to remember is that, yes, we're qualifying for Russia right now, but it's the early part of 2016, and that competition isn't happening until the middle of 2018. And so the name of the game is is just get there. And whatever you have to do to get there, you do. And so Argentina, they're on path for that, I think. The biggest thing with them, with Argentina, looking at looking at the table, is that they're tied for the least amount of goals scored. They've only scored six goals, and, and that's tied them with Peru. Both of those teams have scored six. The big thing is that they've only allowed four, and so they're tied with Uruguay for best at that. And so the offense doesn't seem to be there, but the defense is, is doing its job. And so at the end of the day, at six points, they'll be happy with it. There's a long break before they come back in September. And then when you come back, there are those September, October, November swing. And so... You, form can really play a part there. I don't think there's going to be much form carried over from March to September. But when you go September, October, November, boom, boom, boom like that, you can get on a six-game run and you can be really successful. And so when they come back, if Argentina is able to get on a run like that, then you know I think they'll feel a lot better about where things are. So everything considered, they're fine. I think that they're pleased with where they're at. It hasn't been the prettiest. It hasn't been the best. But They've got 11 points from six matches played, and they're in third place, and they're feeling pretty comfortable. No, indeed. And, and uh, you know, just I just want to put a question across to you. But, you know, we've talked about the, the strong performances and so on, and, and the, the precarious position, really, that, that Brazil find themselves in. Can you, can, first of all, Adam, can, can you see maybe um, Brazil clawing their way back? To, it's, it's kind of unthinkable they don't make Russia. But 
really, as it stands today, the possibility exists. Um, you know, I'm going to ask you to sort of put new batteries in your crystal ball and, and, and cast your mind forward. Can you see the World Cup without Brazil? I, I think if they stick with Dunga, I think they're going to teeter on the brink of not qualifying. I think they're going to be sort of around fifth or sixth place. Um, fifth would give them a playoff against probably New Zealand to qualify for a World Cup. But uh, yeah, I celebrated um, Brazil's equaliser against Paraguay, not because I'm a big fan of Brazil. It was because I thought, oh, that's good news for Chile, because that means that Dunga will stay in the job for longer. (laughs) I think many people had that reaction. And it also took points off Paraguay, of course. Yeah, so I, I I certainly don't think that you can rule it out at this stage. Obviously, they have the talent there to get them to 2018 and maybe it would be a bit like Argentina a few years ago where you know it looked like Argentina might not make it after losing 6-1 in La Paz against Bolivia but even with Diego Maradona in charge they still managed to pull through mainly due to the quality of their players you know produced it at at, at key moments in in the final straight so yeah as like Austin says there's a long way to go here in these qualifiers yeah, nothing is decided in 2016. No, indeed, definitely not. But as I say, just at this moment in time, you know, given given the matches that have gone, Austin, it, 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 there is a worry there, really, isn't there? Absolutely, there's a worry. You're sitting sixth place. If the World Cup happened today, you you wouldn't be there. Um, a couple a couple of thoughts on this. First of all, I can I can see a qualifying scenario in which Brazil, kind of like Mexico in 2014, just slip in by the skin of their teeth and they they go and they play that playoff against New Zealand and, and they hammer the Kiwis and they get into the World Cup and everything is kind of okay. I can see something like that happening where they kind of scratch and claw and in the very last couple of games they they slip into fifth place and and they make it happen, but. And that's kind of like, I guess, the the pessimistic side. Is there a scenario in which they miss the World Cup? Yes, there is. And if Dunga stays the manager, I think they will. And that's what's frightening for me as a fan of the Brazilian national team and as the fan of the Brazilian game as a whole. If things stay the status quo for the next year and a half, Brazil is not going to the World Cup. And I think I can pretty confidently say that. That said, looking at things on a very positive side, Brazil has a lot of really talented young talent coming up as well that have yet to really feature for the national team. We saw Gabby Gold get the call-up after Neymar was suspended. He did not feature against Padawai, but sadly, he was on the bench. Very sadly. sadly very, yeah, sad. very sadly. Absolutely agree. But after the Olympic, and kind of everything in Brazil right now is kind of with one eye towards those Olympics, and so they've kept that group together. When there are players that are in that group that could probably come and help some of these members of the national team, especially on the attacking front in some senses, so I think once the Olympics come and pass in August and we get to those September and October and November dates, I think you're going to see a little bit of a shift in who Brazil is as a team. I think you're going to see a more a, a more youth emphasis in this Brazil squad. I think Gabi Gol will get a call up. I think Gabriel Jesus is pretty close. I think Luan for Gremio is one name to keep an eye on. Um, Valdivia for Internacional, had he not hurt his knee at the end of last year, would have definitely been a name to keep an eye on in the midfield. Now that he's still coming back for that and is probably going to miss the Olympics, I think it's it's more of a question. It'll take him a little longer before he gets to that point. But there are definitely players coming up for Brazil that once the Olympics happen and they kind of get, for lack of a better term, released to the full national team, I think you'll see a bit of a shift, and I think that'll be good for Brazil. Get some new blood in there, some guys who, who are going to fight for their role and are, and are going to play hard. So I think Br- Brazil are going to be fine. 
there is a scenario in which they miss the World Cup, but it's hard for me to picture it. I don't think Brazil will be that daft to keep Dunga on for that long. I think he's done at the end of the summer. I think come September, I would be pretty surprised if Dunga is managing Brazil for those two games. Did, did you uh, pick up as well? He's now not managing the um, the Olympic team. They've taken that away from him. And I think that exactly. that's the start. That's that's yep. the start of the writing on the wall. Uh, yep. Sorry, Adam, what you want to come in there? Sorry, who will be managing the Olympic team or hasn't uh, been decided yet? Hasn't been decided yet. Um, a couple of the names that, that we've seen is Dorival Jr., who is currently Santos's manager and has obviously worked with Gabby Goal and, and, and those types. I think he's a name that has gotten thrown out there. Um, so we'll see. I think Brazil will probably get a little bit of new blood for that. I don't know if they would like that person to then go on and manage the national team or how they envision that, but... I would be yeah. pretty surprised if Dunga is managing them after the Copa America. Sounds to me that they're going to use the Olympics as a as a bit of a job interview for yeah. someone. Yeah, and I and I think that's good. I think that's that's, that's a good decision. Yeah. Um, one final thought on this. I uh, I text a friend that you know. It, can you imagine like a World Cup without Brazil? You know they're really struggling at the moment to qualify. And his response to me was, "Will Conmebol allow that?" So I think, uh, and yeah. that's another. <laughs> that's, that's that's another whole box of frogs. That one entirely. Um, it, 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 weird decisions um, come 2017 if they are struggling. Well, I think it was was it the uh, it was two one of the World Cups. Uh, Brazil were in real trouble in in qualifying, and they put. I think it was 2002 or 2006 the the, the qualifiers for the for those one. I forget which one, but they were in real crisis. But they weren't using; they were using home-based players at that stage. They weren't bringing the players back from Europe. Um, I don't think that the international break had such a significance as it does now, where, where the league stopped for as long as they do. And uh, and again, whatever transpired there, Brazil didn't even have to play a playoff. The, 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 you know, with three games to go, they, they, they were in real doubts, and they came back. I forget which year it was, but you know, Adam, it, it's the way that football works down here. Nothing, nothing would surprise you, really, would it? <laughs> No, certainly not. You can't rule anything out, I don't. No, a suitcase of money can change everything. <laughs> Listen, is there anything else either one of you want to touch on before we bring this to a close? Can you really say anything else after what you just said? A suitcase of money will change anything? That feels like the perfect way to end this. I'm, I'm good. I'm out. Well... <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Well, listen. Thank you very much, both of you, for 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 giving up your time. Uh, I think we're going to record again next weekend um, for the Copa Libertadores, which kicks off again this uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I believe. Uh, we've got the Marlos show, and if you don't watch uh, this, just watch it for this kid alone. If if you're into your scouting of players and up and coming players, check this kid out, Marlos Moreno. He, he, he's something special. But with that, uh, I've nothing really left to say other than thank you very much to the guests uh, for, for giving up their time. Thank you very much for listening. Without you, there is no us. So, so again, big appreciation. And until next week, from everybody here at WFI, it's good night. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.